Welcome to Perfecting Motion, Tribology, and the Quest for Sustainability, a new STLE podcast series that talks with industry professionals about current issues and trends impacting the global tribology and lubricants community. Here's your host, Neil Cantor, STLE Advisor, Technical Programs and Services. In our quest for sustainability, we are fortunate that there are a number of different ways to reach our goal. For automobiles, the goal is for us to drive vehicles that produce no emissions at all. This means automobiles cannot emit carbon dioxide and other byproducts generated during the internal combustion process. Hopefully you recall that we discussed how the internal combustion engine can be made more sustainable in episode five of this podcast series. At the time of this podcast, episode nine, there are a growing number of government regulations that have been adopted to stop the production and sale of internal combustion engines. A recent example in August 2022 is the state of California in the U.S. announced that no automobiles that generate emissions can be sold after January 1, 2035. With a move towards developing and commercializing battery electric vehicles and fuel cell powered vehicles, might there be room for another way to keep using the tried and true internal combustion engine? One of the common themes in moving to sustainability has been how to move from a fossil fuel based economy to a hydrogen based economy. Hydrogen has a lot of benefits working for it, but there are still some concerns. Is it possible we may be driving around in our automobiles in the future with hydrogen in our fuel tanks? To answer this question today, we're fortunate to have with us Mike Copeland of Arrington Performance, who's gonna discuss the potential for using hydrogen as a fuel in an internal combustion engine in place of gasoline or diesel. Mike has a long history of developing new automobile engine innovations and concept cars. Mike, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Neil. Glad to be here. So let's start first with this. For what reasons has the automobile industry been looking at using hydrogen in the internal combustion engine as a fuel? Well, there are multiple reasons. Some of them simple. The fact that there's more capability to manufacture hydrogen than anything else in the world. It's simply made from water. The fact that it can be made on site, which eliminates transportation requirements and things like that is a plus. The real probably main reason and the best reason that I see is when properly done and if you control any oil bypass to get into the engine, it is zero emission. So there's no carbon monoxide, no carbon dioxide. There's no hydrocarbons. It's a fuel. We've been able to make comparable power levels on hydrogen that they made on gasoline. And some new technology we're getting ready to release will actually exceed the power levels made on gasoline. So there are a lot of reasons that are positive. There's some challenges, but everything has challenges. So let's talk about that. I think you've raised some of the advantages of using hydrogen as a fuel. You mentioned no carbon monoxide, no carbon dioxide, zero emissions, no hydrocarbons, comparable power levels. You might even exceed the power levels. But talk about some of the disadvantages of trying to work with hydrogen as a fuel. Well, the main disadvantage is just availability. I mean, hydrogen is limited in its availability today. There are a little more than 50 hydrogen public filling stations in California currently. They're on a plan to have approximately 200 within the next 18 months. As hydrogen becomes more available across the country, as an example, in Michigan, there's one facility that has hydrogen. It's state-owned. They manufacture it on site. 
you have to go through a whole process to get approved to use it, uh, to purchase from them. But it becomes more and more of an option virtually every week. I mean, there's a big push coming right now for uh, uh, Cummins is releasing a hydrogen engine somewhere between 25 and 27. And as a part of that, they've made arrangements to have hydrogen available all across the country at truck stops. Most people don't know it, but every Amazon distribution center and every Walmart distribution center, all of the high-lows run on hydrogen. They're fuel cell vehicles. Which is electric, you know, they generate electricity by burning the hydrogen, but every one of those centers runs on hydrogen. And I'm actually in process of getting approved to be able to fill it, one of the local ones. So that's an ongoing step, but they manufacture it on site. They have their own systems there developed by a company called Plug Power. And, you know, that's probably the biggest disadvantage. There's a lot of people that as soon as they hear hydrogen, they think Hindenburg and they say, oh, it's going to explode. It's going to this, it's going to that. The reality of hydrogen is if you truly look at it for a given volume, it contains three times the energy of gasoline. It also burns at approximately three times the rate, so three times as fast. From an extremely positive standpoint, if you release hydrogen, it's the lightest element known to man, and it's going to go straight up into the atmosphere. If it's on fire, it will actually put itself out in the atmosphere as it mixes with the air. So it's not dangerous like people think it is. You know, gasoline is truly much more volatile and much more flammable with the potential to cause much more damage than hydrogen does. So everybody wants to talk about the Hindenburg, but the reality of the Hindenburg is that when they built the cloth balloon, they wrapped that balloon. Hydrogen, because the molecular structure is so small, it will permeate through things. So to keep it from going through the cloth balloon, they used seven different flammable chemicals that they coated that with, and some of them were conductive to electricity. So when it hit the power line, it burned a hole in it. There are very few photos, but of the few that exist, if you look at them, the flame goes straight up. Nothing goes down, nothing affected the passengers. Most of the people, I believe it was 34 that passed in that accident. Most of those people passed from the crash, not from the the hydrogen. I'm not sure that anyone uh, truthfully was even injured from hydrogen because it went the other way. Imagine if it had been filled with gas and all that gasoline and went down and coated everyone underneath it, burned for three times as long, and then had that much more opportunity to ignite everything else around it. So hydrogen is, you know, there's safety precautions. It must be followed. But the reality of it is it's not dangerous like people think it is. Fair enough. A couple of clarifications, Mike, for our audience. First, Cummins is a major manufacturer of of engines, particularly for the truck market. So for those who are not familiar with it, they're located in the United States. And regarding the Hindenburg, the Hindenburg was a dirigible sort of a blimp but a larger size blimp that was built by Germany in the 1930s. And the accident that Mike is referring to happened in, if I believe, 1937 in Lakehurst, New Jersey, as it was docking after coming across the Atlantic Ocean. A horrific accident, obviously, but as Mike indicated, the cause was not because of the hydrogen, if you will. So thank you, Mike, for going through all that from that standpoint. In talking about Using a hydrogen as a fuel in an internal combustion engine, you retrofitted a 1948 Chevy diesel truck. Why don't you talk about what you did, what steps were involved in the retrofit? 
Okay. So we built a 1948 Chevy 3100 series pickup truck. It has all the latest features, a full chassis under it with independent front suspension and power rack and pinion steering and all of the things you would do as you build a high-end car, aftermarket kind of base performance and uh, luxury type vehicle today. It has air conditioning. It has all the other creature comforts, full leather interior. It's a pretty impressive thing. It can be seen if you just go on anywhere on Google and punch in hydrogen, it'll come up. It's a candy red. It actually belongs to my wife. So it was her truck. (laughs) I was uh, way behind building it. And when we decided to build hydrogen, I chose to do it. So it's powered by a 6.2 liter GM LS engine. We built the engine ground up. We built it specifically to deal with potential demands of hydrogen. It has the opportunity to build a lot of temperature and do some other things. And frankly, we were in an unknown world, right? So we build race engines all the time, extreme durability and extreme performance. And we know the kinds of things we have to do to support that. We took a lot of those same learnings and applied them to this engine. So it has specific pistons, rods, crankshaft, specific valves, uh, the gaskets are specific to deal with uh, the potential higher cylinder pressures and things like that. It has a supercharger on it, a Magnuson 2650. It's actually designed for a Cadillac CTSV or a ZL1 Camaro. And we uh, adapted that to the engine and made all of that function. Hydrogen, when you move it in and out of an engine, because we're using a port fuel injection system currently, and as we inject the hydrogen, it physically takes about 20% of the volume of the port. So what that means is you're getting 20% less air when you run the engine. So adding a supercharger gives us the ability to overdrive that and add more air back to the mix than if we didn't have the supercharger. So that's why we did a supercharger. It was very, you know, there's been some hydrogen development done through the years, and but most all of it's aimed at very small engines and most with non-boost applications. So ours was completely different from that standpoint. So we use a three kilogram tank that in the bed of the truck, we run at 350 bar which is 5,074 PSI. We regulate it down before it goes into the engine to roughly 109 PSI. That's an adjustable point for us. In our case, because the only injectors that exist for hydrogen were designed for like a 1.3 liter small engine and we needed much more volume, we're running 16 injectors. So we have eight in the traditional location. And then we machined an adapter plate that goes between the intercooler on the supercharger and the supercharger base. And we added eight more injectors there. They're all controlled with a Bosch ECM and it works exceptionally well. So we're over 400 horsepower and we're injector limited. So once we get bigger injectors, we'll be able to turn the power up even more. How many miles have you put on it? All of its life, basically, aside from driving in and out of events and, and some short road tests have all been on a chassis dyno. So okay. at this point, it's probably got 1,500 miles on it right now. Okay. So it spends a lot of time at the, on the chassis dyno, right, with us working the calibrations and, and doing all those things. So as I yeah. said, there are others that have played with hydrogen in the past. Plate isn't the right word. Tried to work with it. But, you know, the technology is ever changing and there's more and more opportunity to finite control and do things like that. 
when we started down this path, you know, I've been in the industry a long time and I have a lot of friends and a lot of them that had been involved with hydrogen shared their issues, their challenges. And to this point, we've solved every issue known except for one. And we believe we have it solved. Can so, you share what that is or, or not? No. Fair enough. Understood. Or maybe you'll share that <laughs> later on, in the case may be. Fair we'll enough, let, Mike. We'll let anybody that's trying to copy us figure it out. On their Fair own. enough. Mike, that's fine. <laughs> Forgive me for asking, but I thought, what the heck I'd ask. Oh, it's, it's um, a good question to ask. So, From that standpoint, let me ask you this and uh, a few other things. And PSI, for those people who don't know, is pounds per square inch. That's a pressure measurement from that standpoint in terms of what uh, Mike is discussing there. In terms of the hydrogen issues, water obviously is going to get generated here. So what happens when the water gets produced in the engine? And, you know, water for those of us who look at lubricant sustainability, you know, we need water to live, but water in a lubricant environment and in a metal environment occurs because of corrosion. So what happens with the water when it's produced during combustion? Well, because of the temperatures that we run at, the temperature inside the cylinder, there's no water left behind. Everything that's generated, all the water that's generated from burning of the hydrogen is turned into steam and it goes right out the exhaust port. When we first cold start the truck, as it sits and runs, it'll make like two little circles where the tailpipes come out in the back. And as it warms up, once the engine comes of temperature and the exhaust comes of temperature, it'll even dry that up off the ground. So there's no there's no dripping water. There's no anything. So you can't even see the steam. The temperature takes care of it. So even in the cold start, you're not going to see the water just as you start it. Just, just a little started. bit, okay. yeah, and then Fair within enough. within a couple minutes, it's gone. So, it's a very kind of surreal feeling to stand behind it when it runs. Uh, the first time we ever started it, we fired it up, and at that point, all it would do was idle. But you stand behind it; there is absolutely no smell, no smoke, no smell, nothing. It's just you okay. you you stand behind the truck, and it's like I hear sound and I can feel heat, but there's nothing else. So obviously you don't need a catalytic converter with this type of car. No, uh, there truck. is no, no, no ca- exhaust no catalytic, after treatment no exhaust, at all. Yeah, no. Nope. And for those of you I assume are familiar with catalytic converters for emissions, that is a, a piece that adds weight to an automobile and adds cost because of the precious metals involved, platinum, rhodium, palladium. Many of you know those as very precious, expensive metals. You don't need that for this type of car, which is, again, a, a cost savings. And, and in terms of in this day and age of supply chain, it's a savings on sourcing these type of materials. So what about the engine oil? You mentioned what kind of condition is the engine oil in as it goes through this process? Because obviously for those of us who deal with uh, engine oils and conventional internal combustion and diesel engines, we got all sorts of problems. There's soot, there's contaminants, there's byproducts can all damage an engine oil when you need a whole series of additives to protect the oil so the car can run for 100,000, you know, 50 to 100,000 miles. And of course the engine oils have gotten better. What about the engine oil in this engine? Right now we're using Redline Synthetic we're using the factory specification for this engine is 5W30. So that's what we're using. We're using their standard fully synthetic oil. We have no carbon. So there's nothing to go past the rings from that standpoint. So we've tested oil a couple of times and it's the same as it was when we poured it in. It's brand new, perfect. So I'm sure as we get more miles on it, we potentially may see something. But at this point, I think it's very realistic for an expectation that oil could last 50,000 miles between oil changes because there's nothing in it. No water goes past the rings. There's no carbon. There's nothing on the valves, nothing in the cylinders. I mean, we went down with a camera and looked at it after time, and it looks exactly the same as it did when we put it together. 
Tremendous. So in other words, there's a potential, I would assume, because a lot of lubricant work is looking at lifetime, a lubricant lasting for the lifetime of the vehicle that's being done with transmission fluids. Is there a possibility here that a, an engine oil it properly designed with this type of a car with hydrogen as a fuel could last the life of the vehicle? I believe it could, yes. It could. So there's yep. potential for doing that, which, yep. would, which would be just incredible for those of us who've been so used to, at least originally, a few years ago when I started driving, we were uh, changing our oil maybe every three months. Now it's up to every six months. It could go longer. It could go to not having to change our oil, which would be, uh, frankly, phenomenal uh, right. from that standpoint. At least well, some it, of us would think it would be phenomenal. And it eliminates the environmental impact of getting rid of, of the oil, you know, absolutely. used oil. Good point. So, right. Ultimately, those are all pieces of what you try to accomplish, right? Right. So, and again, from a sustainability standpoint, that's what you want. You don't want to have to reuse the oil, recycle it. You don't want to, if you don't have to, or burn it or whatever else. If it'll last for the lifetime of a vehicle, that's a sustainable factor. Yeah, uh, that's going to help reduce consumption. What does the oil look like? Does it look any change? Does it look as pristine as it did when you poured it into the engine? It looks exactly the same as it came out of the bottle. Wow. It's just exactly the same. So, okay. And that's we haven't run the full-scale tests on it yet, but you know we've tested it for moisture and tested it for other things, and there's none there. Right. As you said, if the, if the water's getting out of the engine due to the heat and the, uh, the temperature at which the engine's operating, it's not going to stay in the oil. Yeah. One of the things we've learned is that we can control engine temperature to a large extent based on fuel mixtures. Okay. So because hydrogen contains three times the energy of gasoline, our fuel mixtures are completely different than gasoline based. And by moving those around, because there's no emissions, we can move the mixture around. The mixture yeah. of air to fuel air to uh, air to uh, fuel ratio ratio yeah yep and we can move that around and we can warm the engine up faster or make it run hotter or we've run twenty minute run cycles and seen a max temperature of one fifty two f okay so there's a which lot should, of opportunity there still to be tested and developed which would be about seventy five degrees Celsius for those of you who follow the uh, Celsius scale. Yep. Some follow Fahrenheit, follow Celsius. I go back and forth with them. Have you found an optimum operating temperature, at least for the engine at this point? Or are you still working ratios? We're running we're running the temperature lower than you do traditionally with a gasoline-powered vehicle. Right. But about 30 degrees cooler. It likes that range. That's a little better on engine components from a lubrication standpoint and and things like that. So. Right. Another benefit, obviously. Car lasts yep. longer. You don't have to change parts out. That certainly is another benefit there. Yep. Let me finish up by asking you at least one question on fuel cells. You brought that up earlier. I think just remind those who have not, again, from what Mike said earlier, fuel cell involves hydrogen reacting with oxygen across a membrane, generating water and power to power a vehicle, water being the byproduct and doing that. Where do you see fuel cells? Again, work's continuing with them. What's your view on them and their potential use here? And where do they best fit? I think they work fine. They're a little inefficient when you use hydrogen to create electricity, then use that electricity to run wheel motors, as an example, in a bus or something like that. So they have some heat limitations and some concerns. There's some packaging challenges based on battery packs and electric motors and, and all of those things. But I think overall that there's definitely a market for fuel cell until I mentioned earlier about Cummins coming out with their new 15 right. liter engine. Until they did that, I think fuel cells were probably the best option for heavy truck. 
So I think that what they've developed may improve and be a much better option. And we'll see that as they continue down their path. But anytime that you're trying to run with electricity, you create a heavy load. It therefore takes more electricity to move the load. And the battery life, the amount of time you can travel on it drastically decreases. I mean, a friend of mine just ran a a test on the new Ford Lightning truck with the extended battery pack, towing a trailer, and it went 88 miles from full charge to empty. Oh, wow. They did that same test with a Riven, with an open car trailer and a Mustang on the trailer, and it was under 100 miles on a Riven. Another electric vehicle, yeah. Yep, another electric vehicle. So there are a number of challenges with that. I don't know how you deliver the goods of the world all over the country and all over all of the different countries with a truck if you have to stop every 50 miles and recharge no, it for a couple a hours. No. Nope. So I think fuel cell is an option there. I know that the one is an example that they run at Amazon and they run 24 hours a day. Right. I mean, their high lows do. So they count on the fuel cell to create the electricity that charges the battery. So I think those are good places for it. Right. I think one of the best opportunities for fuel cell is replacement of the electric grid. So there's no reason that every home couldn't have a fuel cell because hydrogen can be generated from out of the atmosphere. I think that in the future, many homes will be powered by a fuel cell and they will self-generate their own fuel. No, I think that I certainly believe in not just microgrids, which are small areas, but individual homes being their own power generation. Yeah. And that'll take the pressure off the electric grid, which is a a major hindrance, Mike, in my view, in terms of uh, battery uh, electric vehicles. Uh, If everybody wants to power up their electric vehicle at nine o'clock at night and have it ready at six o'clock the next morning in a certain area, the electric grid may not hold up right now. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that's going on as, as far as generating electricity, and it links back to hydrogen. So Westinghouse builds uh, micro-nuclear reactors right. that, that generate electricity. There are currently about 30 universities in the United States that get all of the power for their campuses from one of those nuclear reactors. A byproduct of generating electricity with nuclear is hydrogen. So they today have no use for that hydrogen. So they just blow it out the window basically and send it back to the atmosphere. But all of that hydrogen is green. It's created with zero carbon footprint and it could all be used, trapped and then contained and used to power whatever. Nice of you to bring that up because the last episode of the podcast talked about small modular nuclear reactors. I'm not going to get into that, but similar stuff to what you're talking about. I talked with somebody from the uh, nuclear power industry about that. Small concept in terms of being smaller units to work in small areas, particularly which do not have access to power. So you fit in very nicely for the theme of what we're doing. (laughs) So thank you. Let me finish up here. What does the future look like for hydrogen as a fuel and internal combustion engines? And where do you see the next big breakthrough in the areas that you're working in it? Well, the biggest challenge to hydrogen is just availability. And about 10 months ago, we debuted this truck at SEMA running on hydrogen. We'd worked on it more than a year prior to that. But in the time, in particular, in the last 10 months, I've seen the interest in hydrogen just escalate tremendously. I've seen what's coming for hydrogen grow and expand in huge numbers. And I believe that the path that we're on, you're going to see the OE manufacturers 
develop hydrogen-based engines that they'll put in their production cars. I think you're going to see the heavy truck industry rely heavily on hydrogen. It may, in a short period of time, take over everything in that industry because of availability, because of refuel times, because of Cummins claims they get 500 miles on a fill-up of hydrogen. And they say it takes about 10 minutes for theirs. That fits about right. I think they're running the same pressure we're at, at 350 bar. And our refill time with three kilograms is three to five minutes. So, and you know, as all of that improves, I think that unless something happens that totally like is something new that nobody's ever thought of or never seen, unless something comes on to do that, I think you're going to see more and more emphasis and more and more development with hydrogen. Which fits in nicely because, again, the infrastructure, you know, you've got to get more hydrogen availability, but people know how to use the internal combustion engine or the diesel engine in the case of trucks. It's available. It's known technology. If you just modified or adapted, it makes logical sense. So you say it could be here to stay. It might not be a short-term thing to a fuel cell or a battery. It could be here to stay for the long haul. Well, if you follow the trends and you follow kind of the people in this world that are a lot smarter than me, and they look at electricity today with lithium batteries and things like that as a stopgap, and they don't expect that it's a long-term solution. And I think hydrogen in a multitude of uses, whether it's fuel cell, ICE, however it is, I think it has an opportunity to be a long-range solution. Very good. Mike? In that case, thank you. Appreciate your information, your responses to questions, your insights on the hydrogen internal combustion engine. We'll see how it goes, but it certainly looks like a a viable path on the way to sustainability. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Perfecting Motion, Tribology, and the Quest for Sustainability. Brought to you by the Society of Tribologists and Lubrication Engineers the premier technical society serving the tribology and lubrication industry. STLE's mission is to advance the science of tribology and the practice of lubrication engineering in order to foster innovation, improve the performance of equipment and products, conserve resources, and protect the environment. STLE supports its members with a variety of technical, educational, and professional development resources and programs. To learn more about STLE, please visit our website at www.stle.org.